Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. And I certainly wish everyone a happy Mother's Day or Grandmother's Day in some cases, but just to have a wonderful day and we're thankful for each one who is here today. And thank you too for the opportunity of sharing in the ministry of the Word this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 and we're looking at thriving in a spiritually hostile environment. Your greatest achievements are ahead of you, not behind you. Your greatest achievements are ahead of you, not behind you. That may sound strange or even daunting. Perhaps your past accomplishments seem insurpassable. Or perhaps failures make you feel unqualified and unworthy. Or perhaps you think your age has put you past your prime. Let me encourage you, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter what's in your past, your greatest spiritual achievements are just around the corner. We come this morning to a passage in Daniel chapter 6, a very familiar passage. Chapter 6 opens up where chapter 5 leaves off. Now that sounds like it should be uh, an easy thought. Chapter 5 leaves off with the Babylonians in charge. At the very end of chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar is taken off the scene and a new nation arises, the Medes and the Persians. The head of gold of that Babylonian empire are now replaced by the silver, the chest and the arms of the Medo-Persian empire. And Daniel is in the midst of it all. He bridges the gap between two Gentile powers. Our text tells us not only how Daniel survived, but how he thrived in a spiritually hostile environment. The church is a divine settlement in the midst of enemy territory. And Daniel tells us how we can live successfully in a hostile environment. Daniel tells us it can be done, but not without a price. If you stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ, sooner or later you're going to get into some kind of difficulty, some kind of trouble. The account of Daniel in the lion's den reminds us there's a spiritual battle raging all around us and that the enemy, like a roaring lion, is seeking whom he may devour. You can tell a lot about a person by the enemies he has. Daniel must have been a good man because he had the right kind of enemies. The people who hated him were no friends of God. They came after his faith because they could find nothing else to come after. And we who are followers of Jesus Christ find ourselves in an increasingly pagan culture. The Judeo-Christian consensus that prevailed since the founding of America has seemingly evaporated in our day. We have seen the boundaries moved. And in fact, what was once a vice is now often considered a virtue. Biblical Christians are deemed haters by enlightened souls. The world accepts everything for political correctness except biblical Christianity. We find two significant phrases in the book of Daniel that will be important. One, there is a God in heaven. 
And the second phrase is, he rules over the kingdoms of men. There's a God in heaven, and he rules over the kingdoms of men. In these days, a political delight for some and political depression for others, we need to remember there's a God in heaven, and he rules over the kingdoms of men. He removes kings, he sets up kings, that the living may know, Daniel tells us, that the Most High rules. The second key here in Daniel is that the Most High rules. And that is the name for God, El Elyon. And we find that back in the book of Genesis, where Abraham is returning uh, from a, a, a battle with uh, retrieving his nephew Lot. And his name is called there El Elyon, the Most High God, the God who rules, the God who rules over his creation. And today, you and I should be rejoicing, not because of what we see going on in the world about us, but because we see that our God reigns. He is alive. And somebody should be saying amen about now through your mask. Our God rules in the heavens above. Let me make a couple preliminary observations here before we get in. Uh, to the sixth chapter, nations are born, they live, they die, they rise, they fall with great regularity. As you study history, you are more and more impressed that the nations pass rapidly off the scene. We look back at the empires of the Hittites and the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. We find that Daniel is there with the Medes and the Persians, and along come the Greeks and the Romans. They're all come. They're all gone. Nations rise and fall. They come and go. And Acts 17 tells us that the times of the nations are bounded by the sovereignty of God. And what happens to the nations is all in the plan of God for history. Someone has noted that history is his story. The affairs of this world are leading up to what Revelation 11, uh, 15 tells us is a great and wonderful climax of things. In Revelation eleven fifteen, we read, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. All of history is leading up to a grand and glorious climax when the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to be with him forever, and he will reign forever and ever. That's the God we've come to worship this morning, the God who will reign forever and ever, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. At the time of the writing of Daniel, there couldn't be a, imagined a more cataclysmic event. As I said, going from chapter 5, the Babylonians are in charge of the world, basically. One verse later, the Medes and the Persians are now in charge of the world. Babylon has fallen at the height of its glory, the head of gold. The greatest empire that humanity had ever known. And the Medes and the Persians enter in without even firing a shot. And here we have a new leader, Darius, Cyrus, is raised up. What's amazing in all of that is not that one kingdom comes or one kingdom goes. What's amazing is God remains in control. And Daniel is still in the midst of all of this. What was happening with the nations had no impact upon what God was doing in Daniel's life, 
in the salvation history of mankind, Daniel moves with the ebb and the flow of the nations. And as we get into chapter 6, we enter the second of four great empires, and Daniel is right there at the very heart of the matter. Isaiah 40 reminds us, Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are counted as small dust on the balance. When God comes to judge, he's not going to judge the nations. He's going to judge individuals. What have we done with Jesus? What have we done with what God has given to us? What have we done with the talents and the time and the treasures that God has given to us? How have we served him? How have we worshipped him? How have we advanced his kingdom? It's not going to be a judgment of the nations. It's a judgment of individuals who will stand before God at the very last day. The nations are but dust. God rules in history. Nations come, nations go. And even our own beloved America may someday go, may be overtaken. But the redemptive plan of God will continue to go on. This past uh, Thursday was the National Day of Prayer, and Pillar College held a, a prayer service. We had to go virtual this year. We had over 500 people gathered together online praying, praying for our country. People understand we need prayer, America. Our churches need prayer. Our country needs prayer. Our leaders need us to pray. But God's plan and God's purpose will continue. The people of God go through the rise and the fall of the nations, but we transcend. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. What matters is who's on the throne on high, who's ruling. That's what really matters. We transcend. There's great hope for us. The times of the Gentiles has moved to phase two, and Daniel is right where God wants him. Do you believe that God has you right where he wants you today? That he has you here for such an hour as this? Daniel is right where God wants him, and God is unencumbered by the decisions of men. Times may change. The Old Testament tells us our God changes not. I am the Lord, I change not. Over in the New Testament, Jesus Christ the same Yesterday, today, and forever. So I want to share some key words here from Daniel chapter 6. We are getting to the text in Daniel chapter 6. And in the first three verses, the first word I want to share with you is the word promotion. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, that is over the Medo-Persian kingdom, 120 princes who should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents. And just note, that's the only time you'll find presidents in the Bible. And it's really the chief. God put Daniel right where he wanted him. He set 120 territorial leaders or governors and three presidents or chiefs to whom they reported, of whom Daniel was the first. Daniel was the most important one. He was the one who was considered the highest. And why were they put in place? That the king should have no damage. Daniel was preferred above the princes and the presidents because, verse 3 tells us, he had the right spirit. He had a good attitude. Attitude means everything. He got his attitude because he knew God was in control. It's easy to get a bad attitude when we hear things going on in the world about us, when we see things, we, we hear the news, and it can affect our attitude. 
But Daniel knew who was ultimately sovereign, who was ultimately in control of all things, and that God had placed him in the kingdom for such an hour, and God was going to use him in such a place. And he had a good attitude, an excellent spirit. He was preferred above all the presidents and the princes. And so in these first three verses, we meet Darius. Darius is just another name for Cyrus because the word Darius is a title. Darius is like a pharaoh, a king, a Caesar. It's simply a title. And so we meet Cyrus behind the title of Darius here. He's a capable man. He's an intelligent man. He's an effective man in terms of organization and leadership. He's a powerful man, but he doesn't have a relationship or a commitment to God. We also meet Daniel here. And by this time, Daniel is not a young man. In the first five chapters, we think of Daniel as a very young man. By the time he gets, we get to chapter 6, Daniel is pressing hard on 90, 90, 90 years old. Can you imagine that? And yet he's God's man. He's God's preferred man. He's a man with a commitment to God. And so a 90-year-old man, he's still God's man, he's still God's choice, and we see the power of a virtuous life extends into old age. We sometimes forfeit that in our society. But Daniel was pushing 90 years old, and he was God's man. God put him right where he wanted him. And so we have promotion. I need to move on to verses 4 through 9. We have the word plot. Whenever a man is lifted up by the Lord to a place of prominence, a place of position, he falls into certain difficulty. There's always a price to pray for being God's person. There's no exaltation, there's no success, there's no prominence that is not paid for by a certain amount of challenge. There's a price being paid for being in the position of being blessed by God. And the fact is that whenever you get into a position, you'll find yourself dogged in a hundred different ways by envy. It's just the way it is. We find that in Philippians chapter 1. Paul's preaching the gospel. And others are preaching the gospel to make it what? More difficult on him. They want to make him feel worse. It's amazing how when God lifts somebody else up, there's people around who want to pull him down tear them down. Their hearts burn in rage and jealousy and bitterness. Even when that individual has not done them any harm or injury, how could anybody hate Daniel? Ah, but they did. Look at verse 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion, no fault, for as much as he was faithful Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Daniel had no water gates. He had no skeletons in his closet. There was no way to indict this man. Imagine a person who's 90 years old, gets everybody in the political office digging around, trying to find some dirt about him, and they come up with nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing. That's an honorable man. That's a man with integrity and purity of heart and ability. They found no fault. That word in the Hebrew is uh, sheketh. They found no corruption. 
and they did not find error, shalu, uh, neglect. In other words, Daniel did everything he was supposed to do, and he didn't do things he wasn't supposed to do. Sins of omission, sins of commission. They couldn't find anything about this man. Ninety years old, they couldn't find one thing about him. In verse 5, these men said, we cannot find any occasion against Daniel. We're stuck, except we find it against him concerning the law of God, his relationship with God. If we're going to get Daniel, we're going to have to get his commitment to God, to the word of God. Verse 6, these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said, King Darius live forever. Now let me let you in on a secret. Kings like to hear that. So if you meet any king, say, king, live forever. They like that kind of talk. He always said that before, when you went before the king. They said, king Darius, live forever. Even Daniel says it when he's in the, in the, uh, the den. But all the presidents of the kingdom and the governors and the princes and the counselors, verse 7, have come together. Now that's just pure intimidation. We've all come together. We all agree We've consulted that you make a royal law, make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Here they come in, they come in with this in a tumultuous way. They've consulted all of the governors and the princes and the presidents and the counselors and said, King, you're so worthy, you should be God for 30 days. We want to make you God for 30 days. Remember the program, uh, Queen for a Day? Well, this is, you can be God for 30 days. And we're just going, we're going to give you that privilege. We want to make it a law that anybody who asks any petition will be thrown into the den of lions. It's interesting, if you look at verse 6, the verb there is they assembled together. They came in like a rabble. They came in hastily. They came in tumultuously. Uh, they came in all worked up milling around, a strong verb in the Hebrew. And they said, we all agree. Well, I'm not sure they all agreed. I'm not sure Daniel agreed. I'm not sure he was even involved in this decision. He probably didn't even uh, didn't know about the decision. He wasn't consulted. But they all come in, they pull off their lie, and they said, all of the presidents are agreed. Here's what you need to do. No one can make a petition to any god except for you. Now, in those days, the religions were established that they uh, had men who became deities. The deities were certainly as fallible as men. They were their gods. They made uh, their god in their own image. It wasn't a problem to make Darius king for a, a month. The Egyptians did it. The pharaohs were gods. The Romans believed the Caesars were gods. Remember one of the difficulties the early Christians had. They wanted to call Jesus Christ Curios, Lord. He is Lord. And Caesar said, no, I'm Lord. You can't call Jesus Lord. That's where they got in trouble. Uh, even the Herods, remember in um, Acts chapter 12, took the place of God. So it wasn't unusual. So Darius was flattered. When you get the whole body politic coming in and wanting to do something for you, it's going to be hard to resist. And so without thinking... Uh, he established the decree. It was, became the law of the Medes and the Persians. And we know that from the scripture, the law of the Medes and the Persians can't be changed. The reason for that was they didn't want to make frivolous laws. That you had the law one day, then you change it the next day. Once you made the law, it was law. 
So it was going to be a law for 30 days. You couldn't violate it. They hit the king at the point of his ego. He signed the decree. And so we see the promotion. We see the plot. We need to move on to the third word, perseverance in verse 10. Word got back to Daniel what had happened. Now when Daniel knew the writing, verse 10 was signed into, uh, into law. He went into his house. He opened his windows and began to pray toward Jerusalem. Can you believe that man? 90 years old. He didn't say, well, maybe I'll just ride this one out. It's only going to be a short period of time. I'm an old, I'm an old geezer anyway. Uh, what does it matter? I can pray somewhere else. I can do it in some other way. He was a man of integrity, a man who held his belief, a man who held to his God, who wasn't going to change and was not ashamed to be called a believer. And so he gets to his house. He, he kneels down and he prays and he prays facing Jerusalem because that's where his heart was. His heart was in Jerusalem. And oh, if I can remind you from Philippians, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our hearts should be. Not based here upon the things of this world, but heavenly things. And so his heart was toward Jerusalem, and he turned toward Jerusalem, and he would pray there three times a day, as David did over in Psalm 55. And so that he went up onto this rooftop place where he would be visible, and he prayed with longing. Yes, he could have been more discreet. He could have just closed the windows and prayed in some other way, but that wasn't who Daniel was. And so we have perseverance. But there's another key word in verse 12. I need to move on. And they came near and spoke before the king concerning the king's decree, and they spied out Daniel. They got out their cell phones and they started taking pictures of Daniel there on the, on the housetop. And they go back to the king and said, King, you made a law, didn't you, that nobody could pray or make any request to anybody except you for 30 days. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the law. That's, that's what, we, uh, what I signed into being. And they put the onus on the king. And then verse 13 they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, that foreigner, that captive, the one who's not one of us, who's so different from all of us, guess what Daniel's doing? The tattling on Daniel. Now Daniel was a loyal and faithful servant as long as it never caused him to violate his principles. He regarded the king in the way a king should be regarded. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar." And they said, you know that guy, Daniel, he's not doing what you said he should do. They confronted. The man who started out as God for a month wound up as fool for a day. What a fool. What a stupid, unthinking thing Darius did. But you know who he was angry at? Look at verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much displeased with himself. He was smart enough to know he blew it. He did it. At least he had the honesty to put the blame where it belonged. His own ego had entrapped him. He, then he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored to the going down of the sun. He exhausted every legal means possible. That's the implication of verse 14. He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. But technically, there was no way out. Daniel never says a word. Daniel never takes up his own cause. He never defends himself. 
He's had confidence in God for these 90 years, and he's going to continue to believe that God is going to do what is the right thing. Nothing he could say. We have the promotion. We have the plot. We have the perseverance. We have the prosecution. And now in verse 15, we go on to penalty. Then the men assembled unto the king and said, King, O king, you know the law of the Medes and Persians. No law or decree which the king has established may be changed. You're stuck with it, king. And the king commanded, and they bought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Lions that were purposely starved to be used as executioners. And I think Daniel would have been a good meal. Remember? Daniel chapter 1, he only ate the good food. He was probably pretty much a vegetarian. So 90 years, he, he would have been a good meal. And you know, we see those pictures in our Bible story books of two or three lions just laying down there. I think there were more than two or three lions. Because you get to the end of the chapter, and a whole bunch of other people are thrown into the pit. And what do we read? They're gobbled up before they reach the ground. So I'm sure there's a lot of lions, a lot of hungry lions in that pit. And Daniel is put into the pit. And a stone, verse 17, was bought and laid on the mouth of the den. And verse 16, the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually. What a testimony to have. Your God, whom you serve continually, he will what? He will deliver you. Isn't that amazing? A godless man saying, he will deliver you. Your God will get. get. Where did Daniel, uh, where did Darius get that, fa that fact from? He had probably heard some of the stories from the Babylonians about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others who were delivered by God. The message was very clear about the power of Daniel's God. Daniel was not saved from the lion's den. He was saved in the lion's den. God honors faith, and faith honors God. We need to move on to another word. Preservation in verse 18. Then the king went to his palace, and he passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought to him. Actually, the word is diversions. They could have been women. It could have been dancers. It could have been music. Whatever they did to entertain, to divert the king. But the king didn't want any diversion. No music, no dancers, no food, no nothing. Sleep eludes him. Verse 19, he rose up early and went in haste. That is, at the rising of the sun. He was up there and he was out. As soon as the sun was visible, he was gone. Verse 20, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice and a sad, sorrowing voice, a voice of anguish, a voice of anxiety. Daniel, Daniel, O servant of the living God. Again, where did he get that from? He'd been listening to history. He knew that Daniel was a servant of the living God. Verse 21, and Daniel said, what kings like to hear, O king, <laughs> live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the mouth of the lions. Those lions suffered lion lockjaw. Angels are powerful. We know in one account, one angel took care of 185,000 Assyrians, slew them all. One angel would be plenty. 
my God sent his angels because I was innocent. And also, O king, before you, I've never meant to hurt you. I've never done a thing to hurt you. Isn't it interesting? He only defends himself after the fact, after God has given him the opportunity, put him through the test. Well, he may not have known why God was sending him there, what was going to happen, but he knew he was innocent. Verse 23, kind of moving along, the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. Again, we have an indication that it was a pit he was thrown into. They probably dropped some some ropes over. And can you imagine this 90-year-old man (laughs) grabbing onto the ropes and being pulled up out of the pit? Daniel tells us it was God's vindication of his faith. It doesn't always happen that way. We don't always get rescued. Isaiah was sawn in half. Paul had his head chopped off. Peter was crucified upside down, we're told. Believing God doesn't mean the lions aren't going to eat you. That's not what I'm telling you this morning. There have been martyrs throughout all of history in God's dealing with men. Martyrs have lived and uh, martyrs have died. The The issue is we need to accept God's will. We may be facing days in our own country where we're going to have to make some hard decisions some difficult decisions, and some of us may find ourselves in positions like Daniel, maybe even martyrdom ahead for some of the younger generation as we see the world going today. The issue is that we accept God's will, if it's to live or to die. In either case, believers, were not defeated. If we live, we go on serving, and if we die, we continue to serve just in a different and better venue. If Daniel had been eaten by the lions, he would have been in the presence of the one true king of kings. And he would have said, oh, king, you live forever because you are the king of kings and lord of lords. The next word we have is in verse 24. It's the word punishment. We need to move on. The king commanded they bought the men that had accused Daniel, the governors and the princes and the presidents that accused him, and cast them into the den of lions with their children and their wives, And the lions had mastery of them and broke all their bones to pieces before they hit the floor. It's an amazing amount of lions. The point of the text is to show you that they were hungry. It wasn't just that they were not hungry when Daniel was there, all of a sudden they got hungry. They were ferocious and they shredded the people before they ever hit the ground. God did a miracle. A horrifying scene, but also a reminder that God is going to judge this world and those who have not been on his side. Those have not gone with the word of God. So we see promotion. We see the plot. We see perseverance and prosecution and penalty and preservation and punishment. We're getting near the end. We go on to proclamation. Verse 25. Then Darius wrote unto all the people and nations and times and languages, That's a little trilogy that talks about all the people in that known world. We find it several times in the book of Daniel. All the people of the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a law that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. 
You can't make men tremble in fear, but that was the proclamation that went out. One man, Daniel, had literally affected the kingdom, the entire empire. Now the whole Medo-Persian empire is fallen under a decree to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. It doesn't take a lot of people. It just takes committed people, the right kind of people. It goes on to say, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed, and his, his dominion shall never have an end. Isn't that wonderful? What a testimony and the real word. Nations come and nations go, Babylon and Medo-Persian, but when God puts his man in the right place, his message gets through. Verse 27, he delivereth. Earlier, Darius has said, God, your God will deliver you, and now he's saying he's a God who does deliver. I've seen it. He's a God who delivers. He rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth, and he delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Let me ask you a simple question. Who gets the glory in this chapter? Daniel? Not Daniel. Not Daniel for a minute. Daniel was just there. God gets all the glory. And that's the important thing as we commit ourselves to him, as we commit our ways to the working of the Holy Spirit in the, this hour in which we live, that God gets the glory. If you see one thread going throughout the book of Daniel, it's not the exaltation of a man. It's the majesty of God who rules in heaven and rules on the kingdoms of this earth. We have one last word, and it's prosperity. Verse 28. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. He prospered. As we look at this chapter, what do we see about Daniel? What are the elements of his character that could translate into our lives? What makes a man able to affect his generation, his nation? What makes a man or woman have an impact that is as far-reaching as an empire what is it in Daniel? How can we live in a spiritually hostile environment? First of all, here's a man who transcended history. He sought first the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will fall into place. He's a man who sought the kingdom of God. Secondly, he lived a consistent life from start to finish. He was virtuous when he was young, and he was virtuous when he was old. Thirdly, Daniel fulfilled his calling. He lived in the center of God's will. He was able to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Do I want to go into a lion's den? No. Do I want to spend the night with hungry lions? No. But Lord, if this is part of your plan and your purpose, your will be done. Fourth, he had a good attitude. They kept saying about Daniel, he had an excellent spirit. He had the right attitude. He looked at life from the right lens. He looked at it from an eternal lens. Fifthly, he was envied and hated by others, but he was never embittered. As you serve the Lord, you may be hated and envied by others, but don't be embittered. Don't let bitterness creep in. 
Hebrews talks about that root of bitterness getting in there and growing and overtaking our lives. He was never embittered. Sixthly, when he was condemned for righteousness, he was blameless. Seventh, he was known for his integrity from early life right on through into his 90s. Eighth, he's a faithful citizen. He's subject to the human laws until they conflicted and violated the laws of God. Ninth, he was willing to face the consequences, whatever they might be, whatever God's will might be. He said, Lord, here I am. And we say, here I am to worship. That's part of our worship, saying, here I am, Lord. Whatever your will is, whatever your plan is, I leave the best up to you. I leave the outcome. Tenth, he'll serve faithfully, even though it's going to cost. And I believe it's going to cost us in the days ahead. It's costing already. It's going to cost even more in the days ahead. Eleventh, he never defends himself. That's a hard one for some of us. He never defends himself. He leaves that to God. Twelfth, he strengthens the faith of others and gives them hope. He's a vehicle for God's glory. He's avenged by God. He's exalted by others around him. But the important thing is he's exalted by God in the end. We can live successfully. We can thrive in a spiritually hostile environment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is true, written thousands of years ago or just spoken moments ago into our hearts. We thank you, Father, that your word never fails. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though we may not find ourselves in the pit with lions, we're going to find ourselves in difficult situations. I pray, Father, that we would just have the strength and the enablement of your Holy Spirit to be your people, to live successfully, to thrive, Lord, in the midst of a spiritually hostile environment. You know all about this, and we thank you that as we read in the book of Daniel, you are a God in heaven, you're still on the throne, and you still are concerned in the affairs of mankind. And one day you're going to bring it all together in a great and glorious climax. And until that minute, I pray, Father, we would live faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.